Brilliant. First slide. Let's bring this down a bit shorter than James. So water is my topic, uh, a missing part of the flavour puzzle, and you'll see what I mean in just a moment. So if we could go on to the first slide, we're going to talk about coffee first of all. So uh, this is Jason. He works for me. He's very good at coffee. He was the cupping champion last year. And to his credit, he's not often this confused. Uh, this coffee just doesn't make sense to him. It's from a world-renowned roaster, and he's brewing it and cupping it, and it tastes awful. He's doing everything he can think of. He's playing around with extraction percentages. He's using metal filters, cloth filters, different brew ratios, everything he can imagine, and he's still confused. And really, there's one culprit. There's one reason that this coffee doesn't make sense, and that's water. Next slide, please. So I really feel we're in a position in coffee where we can begin to look at water and realize how responsible it is for so, so many of the flavor results we taste. And this is because of a, an advancement in the way we understand brewing. Before, when we used to talk about espresso, we used to talk about the way it looked, the way it poured. And we used to blame bad coffee on, maybe it was the way that guy made it, he hasn't got the touch. And the more we understand about weighing coffee and weighing water and extraction yields and grinders, the more we can tick those things off. And that's what was happening to Jason. He ticked all those off, and it still tasted awful. Next slide, please. Next slide. So I'm not saying that people weren't recognizing water as a huge element of the way coffee tastes. In fact, people talked about it quite a lot. And every, a lot of people, I think, here probably will and should notice this little device, which the idea is that it tells us the total dissolved solids in the water. What that means is you've got pure H2O, and then you have other stuff in it. Most water has stuff in it, minerals, carbonates, all bits and bobs. The idea was that this told us the amount of those bits in the water, and the idea was that we, we then use this as a, as a way to understand how the water affects the coffee. There was a problem, though. A few slides back, when Jason was testing that coffee, he had the same TDS that the roasters had. He even phoned up the roasters to say, look, I don't know what's going on. This tastes awful. They've got really good quality control practices, so they keep a little back, bit back from each batch. They cupped it, they brewed it, they played around with it, and they thought it was fine. And because we know these people, we knew this wasn't really a matter of taste. This was something bigger. So I was unhappy with TDS as a measurement for water. But how do I move forward? How do I solve this problem or understand more about water? Next slide, please. Theoretical chemistry. Um, Steve was just saying about our shop, we've got a broad range of people who come to our shop and because we're quite open that we are really interested in coffee and serving it to people and talking about it, we get all sorts of people in and Christopher H. Hendon is a theoretical chemist who's had many published papers and he's worked um, trying to solve some problems in the wine industry specifically and very naturally when I brought up this issue I had, he was keen to understand why. He's got that kind of inquiring mind. In fact, he got really excited about it, and he took some samples up to the lab, and we started to embark upon this project. The, the beginning was playing around and trying to understand a little bit more, and has actually turned into something quite substantial. Next slide, please. Now, before I tell you what we found or what we think about water, I would like to cover what most people in the specialty coffee industry would consider as the typical way of looking at water. I think this is quite fair. I'm not saying everybody thinks this, but I'm, it's been very common in my experience. So the first one is the SEA water book, which is most people's reference point for water in coffee. And there's a lot in there, but at the end, it really comes to the conclusion that 150 TDS is a good place to be. Okay? 
The other idea was that, why, well, why 150? Why not distilled water? And the argument is that we need some minerals in the water to pull flavor out of the coffee. If that makes sense, then why don't we want lots of minerals in there? And the next argument was, well, as soon as we get too much stuff in there, there's no room for coffee flavor. Next slide, please. So does chemistry agree? How much of this actually rings true? Only one of them. Soft, empty water, yes. Soft, empty water, distilled water, the kind you pick up to fill up your car battery, doesn't have enough pulling power. Minerals, especially calcium and magnesium, actually bind to flavors in coffee, and they do it in different ways. The other minerals in the water, we don't really care about that much. The sodium doesn't really do anything that water doesn't do. Um, nitrates, sulfates, they're all negligible, really. So that bit's right. We need some stuff in the water. Chris was confused. He was like, well, if these, um, if these pull flavor out of the coffee, why don't we want more of them? And there's definitely a correlation for anyone who's tasted made coffee with Evian, for example. The coffee tastes flat, dull, bitter, chalky. It has very little positive acidity. So from a chemical point of view, high TDS does not leave no room for flavor extraction. In fact, it's quite the opposite. For there actually to be an issue with the water becoming saturated and you therefore having no room to pull coffee out of the um, flavor out of the coffee, you would need to take the water up to a ppm of 5,000. Okay, so the ppms we talk about in coffee are very, very small. Does 150 TDS correlate as something useful? This is arguable, and I'll go on to this as we move through this presentation. Chris was a bit surprised by how, how much focus and reliance we put on this number. The first thing we need to cover is what most TDS meters that we use use conductivity to give us the number. So there's all sorts of problems. Things like chlorine move faster, so they'll give us a higher conductivity number. But also, there's the buffer. And the buffer is what I'm going to talk about next. But the TDS doesn't actually count the buffer. It's not included in that number. Next slide, please. So it's a bit of what I just said. So what is happening? Why do high TDS waters not taste very good? The buffer system is where it all kind of makes sense. Now, um, I don't have a strong background in chemistry or understanding of water, and it's been a real learning experience for me, a lot of it going back to GCSE or A-level chemistry. Buffers are amazing. When you start to think about them, they're quite magical. And this picture's been drawn for me by Peter, who works for me, to try and depict the power of the buffer. So all liquids really have a buffer. Even water has a buffer. That's where the pH scale comes from, 0 to 14. The idea is that if you add an acid or an alkaline to the solution, the buffer will help bring you back to neutral. That's the buffer's job. Buffer's integral to life on planet Earth. Without it, we'd die. So that the human blood, for example, can only really go outside of 7.25 or 7.75. So it's got a really good buffering ability. As well as water having its own natural buffering ability, most water has an extra buffer, and that's the bicarbonate content in the water. If you pick up a bottle of water and you have a look at all the bits and bobs in it, you'll notice a bicarbonate number. Evian's huge. Let's see if I can see this now. Come on. This, I know it's over 300. It's 360, but the dry residue of Evian is only 309. So you see that that's where the buffer isn't counted in that number. So the buffer can turn an acid into its conjugate partner. Most compounds, acids or alkalines, are able to become their opposite number. 
bear in mind that coffee is predominantly made up of weak acids, and you very quickly realize that a high buffer will turn all of those acids into alkalines, into bases. This is predominantly the reason when you make coffee with Evian, it tastes so flat, so, so bitter, so harsh. It's not the high TDS, it's the high buffer. Next slide, please. Yeah, I mean, I've just covered some of this, but the bottom point is important as well. We need a buffer. So otherwise, some of those acids are unpleasant, they're sour, they're harsh. If you make coffee with very soft water, this is a real problem because there's no buffer to help balance out some of that flavor. Next slide, please. So to try and make some of this information relevant, I want to cover a few case studies. On the left is something which is often is correlated very closely to specialty coffee, overly acidic and sour light roast espresso. Now, there's a roaster that I know, and I really like his filter coffee, but I've always struggled with his espresso. In fact, he's terribly outspoken about how light roast espresso is a farce and it's all really sour and acidic and so on and so forth. And I thought a lot of this may have been that we just had different tastes, that the acidity wasn't overwhelming to me. But he'd come to my shop and I'd brew him a coffee without telling him who it's from, an espresso. And he'd say, this is great, this is really balanced, I really love this. I'd tell him who it was and the first thing he'd say is, well, that makes sense. Maybe it's the strata or maybe it's the way you brewed it. I'm a bad barista, maybe it's the way I brewed it. And as soon as I started to find a bit more out about water, I got in touch with him. I said, can you send me a sample of your water? He's got abnormal water. He's got a lot of calcium and magnesium, which pull flavor out of the coffee, but a very low buffer. Even worse than that, because his water coming into the building was about just over 200 ppm, he was filtering his water down and losing even more buffer to try and achieve the 150 TDS. So he was increasing the sourness in his coffee by trying to get closer to that 150. So in his experience, in his roastery, the coffee was sour, it was harsh, he was right. Soft water as a foundation. The first slide that I talked to you about was, it's possibly, there's, I've had an issue with coffee that's roasted to very soft water, or cupped using Tesco's Ashbeck, which is a soft water. And then I'm brewing it with water with not only a slightly higher TDS, but also full of magnesium predominantly. And I'm pulling out a lot of stuff that you just could not taste with that soft water. You will not get it in the cup. Next slide, please. So um, other industries actually use the provenance of their water as a selling point. Distilleries will tell you about how special the water is where they are. Brewers will do the same. People will even travel to a distillery to use the same water the whiskey was brewed with to dilute it. The brewery on the left, the reason I've put them up there is their name's Wiper and True and they're based in Bristol, but they don't actually own their own premises. They rent space off other breweries and they move around. So they get to see the impact of water firsthand. They develop a recipe somewhere, they go somewhere else and the recipe does not work at all. It's useless, they have to start from scratch. A lot of us, we don't get to see this. We don't get to see how big an impact water has. Next slide, please. So I touched on calcium and magnesium earlier. Um, what, what Chris did was he used quantum chemistry to try and figure out the different binding powers of calcium and magnesium. And Peter's drawn me some more drawings to try and display the character of these two compounds. So calcium will pull out a slightly higher percentage of things like chlorogenic acid and so on and so forth. It also, unfortunately, can form calcium carbonate, which is scale buildup, which is arguably one of the biggest problems in terms of machine maintenance. 
Magnesium will put out a lot more fruity, sharper, sour flavors, but it's also a better extractor overall. So if the question was, which one extracts the most, magnesium wins on all counts. The problem is we've done quite a few taste tests and that's not necessarily what we want, but we'll get onto that in a minute. Next slide, please. It gets you questioning. So this is the EK43 grinder from Malconic, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. I, begin, I began to wonder, well, if the coffee was roasted to a soft water or a high calcium content water or a high magnesium content water, then maybe it's going to taste best like that. Maybe if we come up with a water that we think is better and we then use that water, it might taste worse. This doesn't immediately discredit that water. What I'm getting at is with the EK43, you're extracting different amounts from the coffee with the same reading, if you like. And... Um, well, you, or you can go higher if you like as well. But the point being is that you couldn't just get a coffee that was roasted to be ground and brewed without the EK43, test it with the EK43 and say, oh, well, this doesn't work, it's rubbish. You actually may need to go right back to scratch and roast the coffee for that grinder. And this is just as arguable for water. Next slide, please. Which is where we end up with the chicken and egg question, uh, which is quite a fun philosophical question. Could we roast coffee to match any water? No, I don't think we could. With really soft water, I've had coffees that benefit from the soft water. Slightly darker roast benefit. You pull out less of the flavor in the coffee and you highlight the minimal acidity it has and it comes through quite pleasantly. But this doesn't compare to a light roast coffee with a higher magnesium calcium content and a balanced buffer, which brings out mind-blowing flavor. Next slide, please. Mineral waters. So mineral waters and the water we get from the tap all over the country. I mean, water is very localised. This is part of the problem. It's very different in Scotland to it is in Bath and it is in London or Birmingham. But mineral waters are effectively a normal water, if you like. They are naturally occurring. And what this means is they nearly always have a high buffer in relation to their calcium magnesium content, which isn't really what we want for coffee. We want it the other way around. And so what I'm saying is no mineral water on the market is really good for brewing coffee. It's just better than your tap water. So you go from having tap water full of bicarbonate that makes your coffee taste flat and awful, and you buy some ash back and you go, great, I've got some acidity. Unfortunately, the acidity is also quite sour, and blind test, taste tests have actually um, corroborated this, and a lot of people find the same thing. Next slide, please. So industry filtration systems. They produce abnormal water, okay? Their primary goal is to stop scale buildup, is to save our machines. And in, in doing so, they actually produce a water which is beneficial for coffee. You could go back to the chicken and egg thing, but I think arguably, objectively, they do. Which is an issue when a lot of home users who come into my shop who do everything they weigh, they, um, they do everything you could possibly do from a brewing point of view, and they still don't get the results they want. And they go out and they buy Volvic and they buy Ashback, but it's still not as good as the coffee shop. So most coffee shops, as long as they are using their filtration system well and they understand their source water, have got to step up on their customers. Their coffee is more likely to taste better. Next slide, please. So coffee choices, how does this impact on the coffees we choose? Well, it's, I think we do this anyway. So I think we all buy a coffee, we brew it, and we go, I don't really like this, I don't see what all the fuss is about. And maybe it's a taste thing, but just maybe it's a water thing. Maybe if you tasted that coffee with the roaster, with their water, the way they designed it to be brewed, you might think it was amazing. 
And I've done this in my shop with steering away from certain suppliers that I don't get on as well with. And I'm not saying that a, a coffee can't be roasted for a softer water and still taste good on a harder water. We found this, but it's less likely to do so. I'm less likely to have the same result that the roaster had in their roastery. Next slide, please. So I thought uh, we'd finish with Jason, because we started with Jason. And um, yeah, so he's not confused anymore. He understands what's happening in the coffee. And this can only be a positive thing. This is a huge part of specialty coffee and where it's moved in the last decade. It doesn't mean the coffee's going to taste exactly the way he wants it, but it means it makes sense. It means we can move forward. We have a lot of standards in the coffee industry about when we cup coffee, how we do it, and how many grams to how many liters. And these are, these are good things. And there's not really enough of a standard with water, and there needs to be. I'm sure there'll be a strong argument over what that water should be. But what I would like to do is move away from using TDS to understand water and to understand water with its component parts. I want to see baristas having a GH drop kit and a KH drop kit, which nearly all filtration companies will give to you for free. Test those two. Understand the relationship between those two. That is your primary goal. TDS comes second. So the next time you brew a coffee, the next time you think about the grinder you've got or the machine you've got or the brew recipe you used, have a little think about how much of the way that coffee tastes is the water. Thank you very much. Wow. Um, I'm sure there are going to be quite a few questions on this one, so um, I'm not going to hog the, the limelight. Please, anybody got any questions? Oh, <laughs> look at that. So, here we go, running again. Can you sing a song while you're up there, Maxwell, and just keep them entertained? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I haven't used my joke yet. I've got one joke that's lined up for if it all goes quiet. The only joke I know. I'll save it, then. Here we go. Yeah, um, you were saying the the, uh, the ratio of the um, uh, calcium and magnesium um, differing. What would you recommend would be um, the uh, the best way of that? Like how much calcium, how much magnesium? Mm. Yeah, well, this is debatable, you see. So for me, the biggest changes in the way a coffee tastes is the relationship between GH. So when you buy a set of GH drops, the idea is you put a drop in, it changes colour, and then you add more and it changes colour again. You times that number by 17.8, and that should give you an approximation of your TDS of calcium and magnesium joined. The only way to find out the difference between the two is to take it to a lab. It's a lengthy process. It's hard to do. No one can do it in a shop. There are some filtration systems out on the market which do exchange magnesium for calcium. Uh, just quickly, most tap waters are predominantly calcium. Magnesium is always, nearly always rarer. I found um, a source in the States where they had loads of magnesium, but it was like one place. Um, so the relationship between the buffer and the GH has the biggest impact and is the most predictable, in my opinion. Although, if you made two waters, one with 100 parts calcium, one with 100 parts magnesium, and you had the same buffer on each, they will taste different. And I, the added benefit of magnesium is that there's less scale buildup. So you can have a higher TDS, you can have more extraction and pulling potential without as much of an issue with the scale buildup. So at this moment in time, I would say a 50-50 split between magnesium and calcium is preferable. Cool. Another question? Hi, Max. Um, so as baristas, we're always trying to sort of control the variables constantly. Yeah. And that's becoming more and more accessible to the point that people can do it in their homes. Yes. Ch 
changing water, especially changing water according to different coffees, isn't mm -hmm. that easy? And no. it's not a variable you can be controlling constantly. I understand. How do we make this more practical to work with in shops? In shops or at home, sorry. Either way, shops are easier because, like I said, the filtration systems are more likely to produce preferable water than bottled water for someone at home. Some of the companies out there do have some home options that are, are worth looking into. I think what it is is I haven't got the answer. I don't own a filtration company, um, and I don't work for one. We'll just cover that now. And um, I think it's fair enough to say to people that go and buy some Volvic and some Ashbeck, and you'll see an increase in the quality. But it's also important to let them know why it still doesn't taste as good. And, you know, I don't know, shops with preferable water, some shops now sell their water to customers. Um, maybe if this becomes, has more commercial value for companies, they'll produce better filtration systems for home that don't just get rid of chlorine, which is what most people buy them for, but actually produces preferable brewing water as well. So we'll see. This is a great view, isn't it? I like this. Um, hi, Maxwell. Um, I think Jesse's question partly answered my question, but it's to do with um, passing this sort of issue on to the home user. And yep. This probably relates to what Steve does up to a certain extent. Um, at home, what can home users do to try yeah. and maximize on the flavor? Does this sound funny? No, you sound no, good. Good. Um, the, I think, well, I mean, first of all, to be honest, I don't think as a professional industry, we're implementing the way we understand water well enough first. And we always lead by example. So th the better we can get at understanding water across the board and, and putting this into the way we understand our coffees, that's the first step. Um, from a home point of view, yeah, I mean, I guess the same answer, really. The bottled waters are still better than most tap water. And that's not just hard water. We went, on, uh, we went to Scotland on a holiday uh, over the New Year in a lodge in the middle of nowhere. And it was with a roaster, actually. And the first thing we did was test the water. And... Um, it was 25 ppm. Everything tasted flat, sour, and homogenous. And he was getting, they were test roasts that he'd done. So he was getting a little bit upset, you know, a bit, bit worried. But it really was the water. And so we drove a two-hour round trip to pick up Volvic. And it was a big improvement. But they still didn't have that complexity and vitality of flavor that a high calcium-magnesium content will give you. Wow, Leslie puts up with a lot. <laughs> she drove to get the mineral water. Wow. Uh, any other questions? There's, uh, did I see... Um, oh, who are you? Hello. Hi. Um, as well as affecting the coffee part of the flavour, mm -hmm. the, the water and the, its components have got an innate flavour. And lots of us have got preferences. Mm -hmm that might not necessarily fit with how the coffee... Not, not at all. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. The waters I like the most as a drinking water, I like the least to brew coffee with, for me personally. That high buffer in Evian makes it super smooth. You brew coffee with it, it does the complete opposite. And, I mean, that was the one thing the SCAA did note at the end. They said um, participants in the taste testing didn't notice the difference between small changes in TDS and composition at a water level. Although I, I, I agree with you, at a bigger level they do notice. Evian tastes very different to Ashbeck. But then when you put coffee into the equation, those differences get a lot, lot bigger. But, yeah. I would, what I'm trying to say is, just quickly, you might, you might tell me if I'm right or wrong. Were you trying to say that the flavour of the water itself might impact on the end result as well? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that that has less of an impact on the final taste, definitely. So that's the, the way people think about water at the moment is a lot of the beginning of the SCA book is water like this doesn't taste very good, coffee doesn't taste very good. But I think we're interested in how the water does its job at pulling stuff out and then how that stuff all sits together once it's in the water. And the taste of the water itself has a very small impact on the end flavour of the coffee. You see what I mean? Hi, Maxwell. Hello. Um, just two questions. Uh, first on. question, uh, you said that uh, soft water is bad for coffee. Yeah. What can you actually do in a shop setting if you've got very soft, soft water. water? Yeah. Arguably, soft water is harder to deal with. So starting with a lot of stuff and bringing it down is definitely easier. With cartridges making the most of your bypass system and so on and so forth, you can actually play around with the ratio of buffer and GH. Soft water areas are harder. There are, most companies have remineralizing units. Um, and there is actually some soft water areas which are doing themselves a disservice by actually buying a fancy filter that exchanges calcium for magnesium, the one I was talking about. The issue there being is there's nothing to exchange. You, you spent all this money on this magnesium and you won't get it in the water. And really, you want to bring everything up a little bit to stop it tasting sour. So, I mean, talk, different filtration companies do have options. Um, and I would look into that if, if that was you. Okay, second question. Yep. Uh, you started off with Jason looking confused. Yep. Uh, and you finished off Jason looking aha. Yep. Uh, what did you actually do in between in your shop to get him to that state? What did you do to the water then? So, um, well, there's an element of us playing with our water, so measuring our buffer and our general hardness and making sure that that is good. There's an element of knowing that I'm never going to get that coffee that, at the beginning. I'm never going to get that to taste good. The only way I can get that to taste good is to go out and buy some Ashbeck, which I did, and it tasted better. But I didn't... I'm in coffee for the, for the coffees that are mind-blowing, and for me, the soft water is always going to give you that sort of okay cup of... I would argue that soft water is actually safe water. Everything tastes slightly acidic, slightly sour, and not too complex, and it covers up all sorts of things. So it was... That's what I was trying to say at the end, is that he understands it better. He's not necessarily getting the result he wants. And it's the understanding that's valuable, rather than making that coffee taste good there and then. It means we can move forward in the future. Okay, we're gonna finish with one last question and this guy's come up from down below, so uh, we better let him speak. Um, I'm entirely with you on TDS being not particularly useful, but yep. jumping back to the SCAA recommendations, mm -hmm. they're really a lot more than a TDS. Okay. Um, have you, because they recommend both a degrees yep. German as well as a total alkalinity. Okay. Have they lined up with your expect with your experience those recommendations? Um, there's actually well we've got a diff we've got a range so we ch so far I prefer a different uh, relationship for espresso than I do for filter okay. as well. What kind of alkalinity we're we talking about here? What's your preferred level of buffer? Yeah. So um, it depends on the. This is all going to be in the book by the way, so I'm not going to disclose too much because that's part of it. Two graphs that give you um, a curve. My, the problem would be is that if you look at the buffer on its own and you say 40, not bad. Great. If that's not matched with uh, a general hardness that matches it, it won't taste very good. Of course. Yeah. So um, yes, I mean the one when I read the 150, 125, and 175, that particular test is the mineral content of the water is the same in all three. Um, I'd like to know more about it, basically, uh, because I think it's a much. It does give off the impression. I, know, I agree with you. If you do look in closer there is some suggestions for what the buffer should be and what the GH should be. The, a lot of the filtration companies I spoke to were obsessed with buffer must be two drops. 
and then there match your buffer, match your TDS, that still doesn't really give you enough, if you see what I mean. Sure. Yep. Okay, so um, please once more, a round of applause for M Maxwell. Yeah.